Thanks, Patrick. Well, please do keep your Bibles open at Numbers chapter 22. Uh, since I uh, preached on the sobering rebellion of Numbers chapters 13 and 14 last Tuesday, uh, the next day the Melbourne International Comedy Festival started. So to contextualise, I thought it'd be more appropriate to preach on the uh, light-hearted story of Balaam's donkey today. Now, the comedy of a talking donkey then didn't begin with Shrek. Uh, and isn't it reassuring for preachers to know that God can speak through the mouth of an ass? That, that could be your word of encouragement the next time your minister's feeling discouraged about their uh, preaching. Don't worry, God can speak through an ass. <laughs> now, if you were uh, in chapel at the start of semester, you'll remember that we began our celebrations of the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation with a series of sermons on the famous souls of Reformation thought. So I was wondering to myself, which of the solas might be a good fit for this chapter? And given that we find God speaking here through uh, a pagan prophet and his donkey, I thought that sola scriptura might be a challenging assignment. Well, let's consider God's word to us through the story of Balaam as we turn from uh, Israel's unthinkable rebellion to God's unstoppable blessing. Uh, the last leg of the Israelites' travel log from Egypt to the Promised Land is narrated at the start of our chapter as they travel to the plains of Moab just across the Jordan River from Jericho. Just before this, chapter 21 narrates the Israelites' defeat of the Amorite king Sion, who himself had previously defeated the Moabites, we're told. Well, King Balak of Moab... Uh, has seen what the Israelites have done to the Amorites and the people of Moab are understandably sick with fear. Balak consults with the tribal elders and sends for Balaam, 600 kilometres away in Syria. Now, if this chapter sounds a bit like a scene from a Pixar movie, we can be confident that Balaam was a real person. Texts discovered at Tir Allah in Jordan describe Balaam, son of Baor, as a seer of the gods who could avert the wrath of the gods and who apparently specialised in curses. Evidently, he had an international reputation and Balak had heard about it. So we read in verse 6, I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. That language ring any bells? Now, this kind of contest of power might sound a bit odd to Western ears, especially if you only use the language of blessing in liturgy or when someone sneezes. Um, when we worked in Mexico, we lived mostly near the main campus of the National Polytechnic, which sits in an increasingly uh, middle-class pocket of Mexico City. Just down the street, uh, outside gleaming shopping centres, uh, people will hand you flyers spruiking for business, and among them you might receive a little slip of paper offering the services of a shaman who can provide an amare, a, a love spell. And if the shaman worships La Santa Muerte, a, a death cult that's popular in Mexico City, as well as offering a nice line in the white magic of love potion number nine, uh, they might also offer the dark art of bringing down a curse to get rid of your lover's lover. That kind of thing. And there are DIY internet sites for this sort of thing. Uh, but if you go to the professionals, their services aren't free. And if they're reputable, they're not cheap. 
And for many millions of people around the world today, including, you might be surprised to hear, for millions of Christians even, these sorts of transactions that involve uh, manipulating the spirit world uh, to try to foretell or even control the future are the daily stuff of life and death. This is the world of animism, living in constant fear of the influence of capricious uh, deities and spirits and seeking to manipulate them to secure favourable outcomes. And when you scratch beneath the surface, you find this kind of thing in the popular expression of every religion. Well, when it comes to calling down curses, Balak has heard that Balaam is the best in the business. What Balak may not have heard is what God said to Abram in Genesis 12. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. So in Numbers 22, it's game on. And we're going to find out who really has the power to bless and to curse. Well, from verse 7, the tribal elders make the trip to Balaam's home, taking the fee for divination with them, and they deliver Balak's message. Come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them. Balaam says he will consult the Lord, and God gives him a clear message. Do not go, do not curse. Balaam tells Balak's officials only that God has refused to let him go with them. Maybe he's indirectly negotiating for a higher fee. And certainly, uh, Balak's response is to send a bigger and a more distinguished delegation than the first one and to offer a handsome reward, a bigger fee. Balaam tells the second delegation, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Is he sincere? The rest of what we'll find out about Balaam suggests not. Is this an escape clause in the contract in case he can't get results? He has to protect his international reputation. Or is he showing kind of appropriate deference to the deity that he's going to try to manipulate? What's going on? Surprisingly, this time, God tells Balaam to go with the delegation, but only to do what God tells him. Now, what's this about? Why has God changed his mind? Well, then, enter Balaam's donkey from verse 21. God tells Balaam to go. Balaam sets out, but then we find that God is very angry with him. Why? Didn't he tell him to go? Well, perhaps it's because Balaam is not focused on the command of God, but on the fat reward of Balak. Well, the angel of the Lord stands on the road in front of Balaam with sword, sword drawn uh, in three different places. And three times the donkey avoids it by going off the road into a field, uh, by uh, crushing Balaam's foot against the wall of a narrow pass, and finally by lying down on the path where there's nowhere to go. So you have this image of Balaam sitting on his donkey that's lying on the ground. The donkey really does make a fool of Balaam. Each time Balaam beats the donkey until finally the donkey speaks. What have I done to you? And Balaam's eyes 
are opened and then he sees the angel of the Lord. And there's wonderful irony through this part. But the famous seer can't see the angel of the Lord. His donkey can. The diviner is paid to speak words of power. But the donkey speaks first. In fact, Balaam is cast in the role of the dumbass himself. And like his donkey, we'll see that he too will only speak when God opens his mouth. Balaam says that he would kill the donkey if only he had a sword in his hand. The angel of the Lord is standing with drawn sword ready to kill Balaam and only the donkey saves him. Balaam tries to beat the donkey to get what he wants. Balak tries to bribe Balaam to get what he wants. And as we'll see, neither works. Chastened, Balaam is still told to go to Balak and to speak only what God tells him. And Balaam's messages follow uh, in the next couple of chapters. And we'll pick some of the highlights out of them. So please keep your Bibles open there. Uh, Balaam delivers four uh, main messages and three shorter ones. And the messages are interspersed with Balak's increasingly uh, frustrated attempts to secure a curse against the Israelites. So as you read through chapters 23 and 24, you see that a lot of altars are built and a lot of bulls and rams are sacrificed, but all to no avail. In stark contrast with King Balak's attempts to secure a curse against the Israelites, Balaam's messages speak about the security and blessing of God's people. And as we'll see, they reprise God's blessings to Abraham from Genesis. So let's pick out some of the highlights. Uh, From the first message, God's people are secure, we read, because of God's protection. So in chapter 23, verse 8, Balaam says, How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? I can't do that. And we read about the uniqueness of Israel in verse 9, a people who live apart. And when Balaam asks in verse 10, who can count the dust of Jacob? We're reminded of God's promise to Abraham of descendants too numerous to count. Well, Balak tries again. And the word from Balaam is, he has blessed and I cannot change it in the second message. Balak saying, I brought you here to serve up curses. And Balaam saying, sorry, we're fresh out of curses. There's only blessings on the menu today. That's all I can give you. Well, from the second message, we see that Israel is secure because of God's presence with them. In verse 21, the Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. And in verse 23, therefore, there is no divination against Jacob, no evil omens against Israel. They don't work. No human sorcery, nor any other spiritual power can harm them. God promised Abraham blessings and protection. And here we see them. Now in the report of the third message, Balaam realises that it will be only blessing for Israel, so he doesn't even try divination anymore. The contest is over. And we read in chapter 24, verse 1, that the Spirit of God comes on this pagan seer, 
Isn't that remarkable language? And now he's described as one who sees clearly. He looks out over the Israelite camp and prophesies that God's people will be secure because of God's provision for them. And the lovely language that you read in verse, uh, chapter 24 from verse 5 points to the promise of the land. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. And echoing God's words to Abraham, we read in chapter 24, verse 9, May those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. Furious. King Balak says, you didn't deliver, but that's it, go home. No fee for you. And Balaam replies, but didn't I tell you from the start that this could happen? I'll be on my way now, but uh, let me give you some free advice before I go. Let me tell you what this people will do to your people in days to come. God also promised Abraham that kings would come from him. And Balaam's fourth message looks further into the future and focuses on God's promise of a conquering king who would crush the heads of his enemies. In the first instance, that's clearly King David, who subdued Moab and other neighbouring peoples. But later parts of the Old Testament allude to this prophecy and to the nations mentioned in it in ways that suggest that they didn't regard it as completely fulfilled in David's reign. And so we follow the line of kingship all the way to Jesus, who must reign until God has put all his enemies under his feet. And whose victory means not merely the defence of Israel against other nations, but the incorporation of Jews and Gentiles together into God's new family of faith in Christ. Well, there are three short messages at the end that focus on, on the destruction of other nations and indirect encouragement for Israel. And then at the end of chapter 24, Balaam goes home and Balak goes on his way. The end. So, a pagan king and a pagan sorcerer cannot stop God's blessings. And did you notice that at this point, through these chapters, there's no indication that the Israelites are even aware of Balak and Balaam. Here is God working behind the scenes to turn every attempt to curse his people into blessing. The, the blessings didn't mean that they'd never be attacked again, but far from it. But that no external threat, human or spiritual, would be able to thwart God's purposes of blessings in the end. Think of Jesus' words to his disciples in Luke 21 as he looks to the end and he tells them, Before all this, they'll seize you and persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. You'll be betrayed even by parents, 
brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. What wonderful comfort for fearful and persecuted Christians. Not a hair of your head will perish in the end. Admittedly, that image is a little bit more comforting for some of us than for others. Not a hair of your head will perish. Well, the blessings didn't mean that the Israelites would never be attacked again. And they didn't mean that they'd never sin again either. But listen to the next two verses. This is the start of chapter 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. And Balaam had a hand in that. If you read on, you find out in Numbers chapter 31 that the Moabite women were following his advice. And it turns out that the biggest threats to God's people then are not external but internal. God protects them from Balak's attempts to crawl down a curse on them and then they give themselves up to immorality and idolatry. In the New Testament, interestingly, both 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude warn of false teachers in the church who follow the example of Balaam for the sake of gain. Here's a warning for ministers of the word. If you're driven by profit, if you make profit your motive, you'll be a false prophet. By contrast, we should follow the example of Paul. You remember, he says to the Corinthians, unlike so many, there are lots of people who do this, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Well, that's an important warning for us at Ridley, uh, but it's not the main point of the Balaam story. The overarching message of these chapters is the ultimate security and blessing of God's people. It's a message of unstoppable blessing. Now, we've already seen that Numbers paints the portrait of a grumbling, rebellious people. We saw the low point of that last week in chapters 13 and 14. And we've just seen that the narrative picks up again in that vein straight after these chapters. Well, that context makes it startling and wonderful that God should speak words of such security to such people, to people like us. You see, the ultimate security of God's people isn't grounded in the character and action of the people. It's grounded in the character and action of God. In his protection, his presence, his provision, his promises. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises of blessing and security for your people. Thank you that your blessing is unstoppable. So the attempts of Balak and Balaam to thwart your blessing were so ridiculous that you turned them into comedy. Thank you that we can be even more confident about your blessing than Old Testament Israel. Because with the Apostle Paul we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.